0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. it is undoubtedly a temptation and a sad temptation at that for all followers of Christ to be ashamed of the gospel to be ashamed of the gospel to be embarrassed by the christian faith why why are we tempted at times to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel and christian teaching run against the stream of our godless culture, run against the stream of of everything we've known culturally and everything we've taken in through those means. Christians view everything from the creation of all things to to the relationship between men and women to the preciousness of life in the womb to all morality in in absolutely countercultural terms. And this tension is no surprise, but it leads to being persistently, day in and day out, in situations where we have to defend our faith and express our, our disapproval of the godless doctrines of the principalities and powers of the world. We're day in, day out in that situation. And, and that, that expression of disapproval makes us a threat to the insecure principalities and powers of this world. And and when the authorities of this world are threatened, they inevitably react with force. That's how the principalities and powers of this world react. Uh, Point in case. Think of what is happening in California, and it's not just California, it's many places East and West, North and South. Um, But in California, with the banning of books and practices that would call homosexuals or transgender individuals to turn from their sexual perversion and repent, in order to oppose biblical views of sexuality, the state must threaten with physical imprisonment in order to silence those dissenting views and to protect their own views. Therefore, laws that assert punishment are being uh, debated and, in many cases, put into practice. Remember the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul here is uh, suffering in prison in Rome. For as he puts it in verse 8, the gospel according to the power of God. He's in prison because of the gospel. Um, Nero is waiting to crush the life out of the Apostle Paul because, as a preacher of the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ, he's a threat to Rome's idolatry and to Rome's power. And yet, here's the Apostle Paul telling Timothy not to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. The Apostle is urging Timothy, and by extension, all Christians, not to be ashamed of the gospel. Remember, remember that the previous verse, the previous verses, uh, reminded Timothy of the reality of the spirit of power, not of timidity that we have received, the spirit of power and not of timidity. And that spirit is the spirit of all Christians received in the genera- regeneration wrought by the Spirit. The Spirit gives all Christians power. And yet here we are, and, and there Timothy was. Tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Tempted to be ashamed, embarrassed. Which is the very heart of the spirit of timidity. right? It's it's so timid to be embarrassed of Almighty God. So we need to be reminded of this continuously because we live in a culture much like the Roman culture of Paul's and Timothy's days. It's a culture that doesn't simply reject the teaching of Scripture, but openly mocks and increasingly persecutes those who hold to the teachings of Scripture. If you believe all things were created from nothing by God, today you're thought of as a fool, an unthinking fool. If you believe that homosexuality is abominable to God, you're thought of as a monster, an unloving monster. Right, if you if you won't bake a cake for a, a homosexual marriage, your wages are garnished, and that at a stupendous rate. If you believe that Jesus Christ will return to judge all men, you're thought of as as I mean, honestly, you're thought of as a couple cans short of a six pack. You're thought of as as uh, an idiot. Right? It's hard to navigate through such a situation. We're always trying to figure out, aren't we, how to balance our loyalty to God and our faith in God on the one hand and our innate desire to remain respectable all the time. We're trying to balance those things out. But if respectability comes by holding the same views as our government and our schools and our legislators and our neighbors and our homosexual activist neighbors and our politically correct, you know, university professors, there's absolutely no hope for respectability for a Christian. There's no hope. You can't remain respectable. If we aim for respectability within such a pigsty of worldliness we will inevitably be, be ashamed of the gospel. We'll be embarrassed. Are respectability with God and respectability with the world able to be maintained simultaneously? Most people will say they must in order to have a proper witness. Respectability with the world and respectability with God, we have to have both, or... or you know, our witness, our building of bridges will will uh, fade away. We'll, we'll, we'll be unable to speak. And I, I say they are not compatible. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christians today and all through history really are often more concerned about respectability than they are about righteousness, aren't they? What about you? Do you need reminder not to be ashamed of the gospel? Do you need a reminder not to be ashamed of Jesus, not to be ashamed of the scripture? I need reminders of that. You need reminders of that. Timothy needed reminders of that. The Apostle Paul needed reminders of that. Um, How many of you are ashamed of the gospel when it comes to inviting someone to hear the preaching of the word at Trinity Presbyterian Church? How many of you would, like, hesitate to bring somebody to our church to hear the preaching of the word? You wish the pastor were more nuanced. You wish you wish he was more gracy, more exegetical, right? More red, redemptive historical, all of which would be safe ways to preach and, and make the pulpit much more palatable. Uh, much more palatable part of our, our worship. That is often where our shame of the gospel takes place. Um somebody else's zeal or faith or situation is intense and we want to distance ourselves from that kind of zeal, right? If a church has a, has a pastoral staff that engages, let's say, in open-air preaching or witnessing an abortuary, we want some distance from that kind of countercultural zeal, right? I mean, that. what will we tell our, our family and coworkers when they ask us about our church? In Paul's case, he's concerned that Timothy and others are not ashamed that he's imprisoned again, right? Again, Paul in prison. And he's imprisoned for his work. If they are ashamed, what does that say about them and their work? What does that say about Timothy and their work in the church? It means they are overly concerned about their own respectability, right? Perhaps they wish Paul were more prudent. And, and try to win people and try to build those bridges and, and just try to stay out of jail. Right? It's embarrassing to the cause of Christianity, Paul. Um, perhaps they wish Paul would would not cause trouble. He's just causing trouble all over the place. Because, you know, whenever he causes trouble, then the trouble starts for us. And then we have to end up defending Paul, and, and it's a mess, Right? Doug Wilson remarks on his commentary, uh, on, on this passage from his commentary on 2 Timothy. He says, let a public controversy break out. Many Christians, all they which are in Asia, will head for the tall grass and will blame the Christian who is standing in the arena facing the lions for being too provocative. Right? All the Christians head out, and there's one guy standing in the grass facing the lions. They're like, that guy's not very Respectable. Paul knows, Paul knows that their embarrassment about him and about the gospel would be to fear man more than to fear God. He knows that that would mean placing his own reputation among pagans above his standing with God Almighty. Now notice what he says in the first verse that proves he's trying to help Timothy avoid embarrassment regarding Paul. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul is telling telling Timothy that, that it is because of the testimony he's given about Jesus Christ that he is imprisoned, right? And notice, too, that whose prisoner is Paul's? Whose prisoner is Paul's? Paul is God's prisoner, Paul, Paul realizes that it is because of God's calling upon him that he sits in prison. This is part of the suffering promised to the Apostle Paul at the outset of his ministry. Um, he, he's not Rome's prisoner. He's God's prisoner. Right? He is right where he should be, and that is part of the reason that, that Timothy should not be ashamed of Paul being in prison or ashamed of the Apostle Paul. Now notice the direction of Paul's exhortation then to Timothy. After telling him not to have a spirit of of timidity, to, to remember that spirit of power, love, and discipline, three things necessary, right, to our existing without embarrassment, he exhorts them not to be ashamed, and then he says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Not only do not be ashamed for the gospel according to the power of God, not only do not be ashamed, but imitate me. Imitate me, go in the same way as me, follow in my suffering. But it's not simply suffering. It, It is, as you see, suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Suffering for the gospel, according to the power of God. The gospel and his preaching it is the reason that Paul is in prison awaiting execution. By any worldly standard, that is a serious defeat. But by God's standard and calling, Paul being in prison is merely another opportunity to witness. It's another opportunity to sing the praises of Jesus and his salvation. It's another opportunity simply to remain faithful to God. Again, that mention of the power of God. Remember what he says in Romans. Same same words used in Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed. Power of God. I'm not ashamed. The gospel is the power of God. That is the key, is it not? It's the same thing the Apostle Paul is saying here to Timothy, though connecting the added element of his imprisonment, which might be a cause of some further confusion or embarrassment. If the gospel is the good news about the power of God rescuing mankind from their damnable sins, can there be any reason ever to be ashamed of the gospel? Is there any reason ever the only, the only time that we are ashamed of the gospel is when we begin to adopt the godless views that have been concocted from the mind of man since the first days of his existence. Eve looked at the fruit of the tree that the serpent pointed out to her and began to think for herself rather than think the law of God. That was the first philo- that, that her action. That was the first philosophy. The first philosophy that arose from man, and it was a contradiction to the holiness of God. It was to take what God had forbidden and make it somehow attractive. That is the philosophy of the world, isn't it? To take what God has forbidden and make it attractive for man, for the sake of man's appetites. But the power of God is salvation from sins. The power of God is salvation from sins. God is a Savior who, as Paul elaborates, verse 9, has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, there's so much there to be ashamed of, isn't there? So much to be ashamed. Sometimes we're ashamed that God saved us. Right? We're ashamed simply by the fact that we were so helpless that, that other had to save us. Right? Sometimes we're ashamed that our salvation is not by our works. right? Because that means we're weak. And sometimes we're ashamed that God called us because it means we didn't call him or we didn't find him. Right? Sometimes we're ashamed that it, it was his purpose and his grace that was granted to us because it means that it wasn't on our own terms. Right? Sometimes we're ashamed that, that our salvation comes by the appearing of Christ Jesus because that means our salvation was costly. It was terrible. What, it, it is really terrible what we can be ashamed of when it comes to the Christian faith. But what if we simply believed each and every statement about God here in this passage? What if we, children, cling to these things when, when the mythologies of the world come along and tempt us? How would our lives change? How, how would our conversations change? How would our attitudes change? Think about it. What, is, what does the Apostle Paul remind us about in these few verses about God? One, he saved us. Two, he called us with a holy calling. Three, and those things were not because of our works, but according to his purpose and his grace. For that purpose and grace was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And that eternal purpose came into history by the revelation and appearance of Jesus Christ, that Jesus abolished death, that Jesus brought life, that Jesus brought immortality. All of this is witnessed to, brought to life through the gospel. I mean... Those are, the, those are amazing things, right? Those are amazing things. Those are stupendous things, each one of which we could probably spend months just thinking about. There's so much within those verses that could be unpacked, and it's, it, this would be a great passage to memorize, to remind yourselves of the glorious works of God. But there's, there's one thing I want us to think about, and that is what is written about the purpose and grace of Granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Think for a moment about the glory of that statement. You, an adopted child of God, were known by the Father from all eternity. Known by the Father from all eternity. And the Son of God covenanted with the Father from all eternity according to His own purpose. To put his grace upon you in Christ Jesus. Stop and think about that. The almighty God who created all the distant galaxies and caused the stars to take their particular place in the sky, purposed to give you grace from all eternity. Before the stars were made, before the oceans teemed with life, before any books about anything had been written, before hydrogen and oxygen... You were known by God. You were known by God. He purposed to give you grace in Christ Jesus. The almighty God blessed you before you were. And you find it almost impossible to speak his name in public. To invite friends to the preaching of his word. To witness to the greatness of Jesus Christ to your family members. Oh God, I mean, forgive us. Forgive us for our embarrassment. I mean, God, where is the power? Why so much timidity from all of us? Why are we such suckers for the moment, for history, for for now, when when he has purpose from all eternity that his grace be set upon us? Why, Why do I find any dignity in being praised by any of the powers and principalities of this world? Why do I not rejoice in this knowledge? Why do I not rejoice in God Almighty and his eternal knowledge of myself? The redemptive work of Jesus Christ started before time began. And his children have had his purpose and grace destined for them before time. And we find it hard not to be liked. Not to be embarrassed by someone who has existed for 45 years, for 10 years. It's shameful. It's shameful. We clamor for recognition and and should simply rest in the knowledge of the eternal recognition we have always had from God the Father in his Son by the Spirit. The triune God, knowing us. The Apostle Paul says, "I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. His life has not been filled with the soft thoughtfulness of the academic. He has suffered to fulfill this calling that God put upon him, and he himself would have been ashamed, would have been tempted to be ashamed. Uh, no, uh, he didn't receive any." love from the the philosophers of Greece. He didn't receive any honorary doctorates from the Roman authorities. He didn't receive very much love from the Jewish rabbis. But he had one thing. He had one thing, and he did not care about any of those other matters of respectability. He had one thing. He had Jesus Christ. He had Jesus Christ. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know who I have believed, right? Now, how, dear brothers and sisters, can we ever be ashamed of such a glorious salvation? How can we ever hesitate to share such glorious and good news? How can we ever long for what the world offers to us when we have such a glorious eternal heritage, Right? It doesn't make any sense. To be ashamed of the gospel, to be ashamed of the gospel on any level is the worst kind of unbelief. It is the worst kind of unbelief. To be ashamed of the gospel is, is actually the worst kind of ungratefulness. It's to reject being grateful to God. And so if you find yourself persistently ashamed of the gospel, what do you do? You must remind yourself, as Paul was doing for Timothy here, of the great works of God. You have to remind yourself of the great works of God done on your behalf, and as you meditate on those works, I would hope that as we meditate on those works, our our need for the approval of the world will die. It will die. It will be gone. We will rest in the one thing, I know whom I have believed. I know Jesus Christ. We have the pearl of great price. We need nothing else. We have Jesus Christ, and we will rest. Right? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we love you. We ask your forgiveness for our embarrassment, our shame regarding the gospel of your son, Jesus. All those conversations where we hesitated, all those times when we had opportunities and didn't take them, all those times when we didn't say what was needful for the moment, all those times when when we we laughed at, at blasphemous jokes. All those times when, when, we, when we chose sin rather than to choose the law and your righteousness. All those times, Father, when we've been ashamed of the gospel. Father, wean us from our love of the world. Wean us from our desire to be respectable in the eyes of man. I pray that we would fear you rather than fearing others. And Father, that that we would, and it would be a, a, a power and a love that arises not just from shutting down being ashamed, but arises from us meditating on the glories of you and your gospel. That we would be so filled up with the knowledge of you, that it would continually pour forth from our mouths. And that we would rejoice. That we would rejoice in the gospel. That we would continually be thinking about the glory that awaits us in your presence. That we would be meditating on the glory of, being, of you being mindful of us from eternity past. Oh, Lord, we praise you. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.